The Apostle Peter is writing to a church that is experiencing suffering and persecution. He is writing to them to encourage them, and he does so by reminding that they are chosen of God and strangers in this world. He opens Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers or pilgrims scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, he is writing to servants and Christians who are being wrongfully and unjustly punished by masters. He gives them instructions. When you are unjustly suffering, look to Christ. In verse 21, we are called to suffer. We are called to suffer because Christ suffered for us. And he suffered leaving us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. And as Christ suffered when he was sinless, we will at times suffer for no reason other than people simply hate us or Christ. But when we do suffer, we are to patiently endure the suffering. And again, he says, look to Christ. When Christ was reviled, did he revile back? No, he reviled not. When Jesus Christ received the threatenings and mockings of others, did he give like for like? No, he exercised faith. And he committed himself to God who judges righteously. And then he concludes in verse 25 to say, Remember who you were and to whom you have been saved. You were as sheep that went astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Therefore, endure with patience your sufferings. This evening, I want to take this phrase, the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I want to look at what this means, and contextually and biblically at large, how does it apply to the Christian? And our two headings are simple. One, the titles of Christ And two, the oversight of Christ. So first of all, the titles of Christ. In the Bible, it gives us titles describing Jesus Christ so it reveals something of his person and something of what he does for his people. 
The Bible refers to Jesus with multitudes and multitudes of titles. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Life. He is the Consolation of Israel. He is the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valleys. All these titles are given to us so we may study them and find out something of Jesus Christ. And I hope you do that too. I hope you study the names and titles of Christ and discover more and more of his person and work. But Peter gives us two titles here. And the first title is the shepherd. The shepherd. This is, of course, a a well-known title of Christ. And he's described in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, as the good shepherd, John chapter 10. The chief shepherd, 1 Peter chapter 5. And the great shepherd, Hebrews chapter 13. The title shepherd simply reveals Jesus Christ's tender, faithful, and gentle ruling of his people. A shepherd is someone who leads, protects, feeds, and guides sheep so that they prosper and are filled in their beings. And our Christ as the greatest shepherd. A shepherd personally knows his sheep. John 10 says, he calls his own sheep by name. Douglas McMillan, a a minister who was 20 plus years as a shepherd, said he knew every one of his sheep. He knew their personalities. He knew their characteristics. And even after he left being a shepherd, when he returned to his flock on vacations, he could still recognize each and every individual sheep of the flock. And that's Jesus Christ. He knows you personally, intimately. He knows your characteristics and your personality. He knows you by name. And he's tender. He's not some tyrant. He's not someone with a lack of patience hitting you over your head every single time you do something wrong. But he is gentle. Isaiah 40, 11. He shall gather the lambs with his arms, carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Oh, and what a leader he is. He doesn't lead us astray. He doesn't lead us into danger. Psalm 23, he leads us on the paths of righteousness for his own namesake. And he protects us. Think of all the dangers in the world. Think of sin and flesh and the devil. Think of the world itself and the enemies of God. John chapter 10, again speaking of the sheep, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. All my sheep will never perish. 
and he will feed them. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 14, I will feed them in a good pasture. This is Christ. This is your shepherd. Leading, guiding, protecting, feeding you. Then he gives us a second title. The bishop. The bishop. Now, when we read a a word like that, it has all kinds of connotations because of uh, ecclesiastical governments. We think of the Episcopal Church or the Roman Catholic Church where you have a, a bishop and the bishop rules the church and he's not an elder in the church, but rather he is this a sovereign, powerful one over a large region, and he has power over all the churches. Now, such an office is unbiblical. Uh, if you read Acts chapter 20, 1 Timothy 3, and Titus chapter 1, you will see that a bishop is the same as an elder. And in the Bible, one church never simply has a bishop, but always has the plural. For example, Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, where Paul writes to the church and he's writing to the bishops and deacons. But what does this word mean, he is the bishop? Well, the word is very rich in the Greek. It's the union of a noun and a preposition. The noun is where we get the word scope from just simply meaning to see, a microscope, a telescope, something that helps you to see things. The preposition is simply the normal word for for on or upon. I'm climbing on something. He went upon something. And when attached to this word, it means On sea, upon sea, literally. But it is often translated, of course, overseer. And the idea of the preposition and the noun coming together is to intensify the looking. It's to look with great intent. It's to see something clearly. But the meaning of the word is not simply to see something far away in a more clear way, it is you see something and you have such a care for that which you see, you look after it. You take care of it. R.C. Sproul, in his commentary, uses the illustration of the supervisor, where in the Latin, supra means above and visor means to see. To look. And a supervisor is someone who comes to look over you. A supervisor looks at the work environment and the employees under his management. And he comes with a care to look and make sure that the work is being done. Is there any problems? Are there any mistakes? Does anyone need help? Do we need more manpower? Do we need to teach and train to do better or to do more? 
And that's the idea of a bishop. Someone who has a deep care, therefore they come and look upon them to do them good, to help them, strengthen them, train them. And this is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our bishop, our supervisor, our overseer. There's a wonderful phrase in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Speak of the lamb sitting on the throne, and it says, There stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. See what's saying there? Christ's eyes are over all the earth by the Holy Spirit, which he's looking upon his people. He's overlooking them, overseeing them, supervising them. What's lacking? What's needed? Uh, where do they need help? Where do they need strength? Where do they need encouragement? Where do they need training? And then Peter says, the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now Peter's not using soul here as if you think of the soul apart from the body. He's simply using soul to emphasize the spiritual and immortal being of man. Remember, man is not merely body. We read this morning, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, how man was made. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This makes us very different from animals. Animals have instincts. Animals do not have any rational capabilities. They have no moral responsibilities. They are not spiritual beings and do not have the capacity for any knowledge of fellowship with God. But man is not an animal. Man is a living soul. The soul means that man is immortal. There's life after death. The soul means that man is a spiritual being. We long and crave for more than animalistic desires. We desire the higher life. We are made for fellowship and enjoyment of the supreme good, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The soul means man is of value and dignity worth more than the entire world combined. Mark chapter 8, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We have a soul, brothers and sisters. And Jesus Christ is the shepherd and bishop of the soul. As a shepherd, he wants to lead, guide, feed and protect your soul. As bishop, he wants to oversee and supervise your soul and give you everything you need in your soul to live for him and to live for eternity. And so how exactly is Jesus Christ the shepherd and bishop of our souls? Well, I want to take the full Bible and include some of the things in context and show very simply four ways how Jesus Christ is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. First of all, he saves our souls. Our souls are lost. Our souls are damned. And the one main thing that our souls need is saving. We need to think of that more. Dear children, dear visitors, I don't know your spiritual condition. But if you have a soul that needs saving, it's an immortal, undying soul. And Jesus Christ will save that soul. There's a picture of this in Ezekiel 34, where God is looking at the state of his people under wicked shepherds. And he describes the nature of his people in verse 4. They're diseased without strength. They're sick without healing. They are lost and cannot be found. That's us in our sin. But then God says in verse 22, I will save my flock and I will set one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. I will make with them a covenant of peace. I will make them and their places round about my hill a blessing, and I will cause the shower to come down in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. That's what our souls need, saving. By the greater than David, we need a covenant with peace, or a covenant of peace with God, and we need the showers of spiritual blessings. And Jesus Christ brings this down. There's an interesting word used in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. That word visited is the variable form of the noun in our passage, bishop. The Lord God has bishoped. 
The Lord God has looked down from heaven. He has seen the sin and lostness of the souls of his people and he has bishoped. He has come down to look after us, to take care of us, to help our souls, to save us in redemption. And he has come to do this in Jesus Christ by being our substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary means in our place. Atonement to keep the law of God and bear God's wrath to save us. John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And I give my life, I lay down my life for my sheep. Isn't that wonderful? What shepherd when the sheep, the life is on the line. A shepherd will defend his sheep, don't get me wrong, absolutely. But if one sheep is to die, or the shepherd's life, the shepherd, no matter how much he loves the sheep, will let a sheep die. But not Christ. Christ is the good shepherd, the excellent shepherd, the beautiful shepherd, which that word can mean. And he will not simply defend his sheep from danger. He will take their place and die for them. And in verse 24, we see that gospel. Christ, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. All the sins of all the soul of all his people, he bore. He is liable for the guilt and punishment of all his sheep. And this he did on the tree, that place of the cursed death, the place of forsakenness, the place of wrath. And the outcome, by his stripes, we are healed. Healed from our sins. Healed from the wrath to come. Healed from judgment. Healed from hell. Jesus Christ, as the shepherd and bishop of our souls, has come down and visited us, bishoped us. He is the good shepherd who has laid down his life, and we are healed. This is what your shepherd and bishop has done for you. But then secondly, the shepherd and bishop of your soul will convert your soul. It says in verse 25, ye were as sheep going astray. And you will know, brothers and sisters, this is of course a a citation, at least an allusion to Isaiah 53, 6. All we as sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way. You see, sheep have the tendency to wander away. If you've ever lived in a rural society or visited a rural society, a society and they have sheep there, you know how quick the sheep are to wander and when they wander away they are lost 
and they do not have the intelligence to return to the flock and to the shepherd. And that's us. Because of sin, by nature, we all wander away from God and we're lost. We've wandered away from God in our thinking and we're lost in spiritual darkness. We've wandered away from God in our hearts and we love self and hate God and cannot find the way home. We've wandered away from God in our wills and we will not and cannot be subject to the law of God. We are wandering lost sheep. And what does the shepherd and bishop of our souls do? He comes to us. In Luke chapter 15, our most beautiful chapter, it's, it's preached on often, it's read often, and sometimes familiarity makes it a little bit dull, but it's beautiful. Uh, it starts with publicans, sinners, coming to Jesus Christ. And why do they come to Christ? Because he's the shepherd who goes after them. He gives a parable of a shepherd in a field and there's a lost, wandering sheep. And what does he do? Leave it? No, it says he leaves the flock and he goes after that sheep. He brings the sheep into his arms and he himself causes the sheep to return. And the shepherd is full of joy. And he says, that's salvation where God in Jesus Christ doesn't just wait for his flock to return because they'll never return, but he goes after them and he takes them up in his arms and brings them back to God. And there's joy in the, the presence of the angels over any sinner that repents. And that's what Christ does. He is the shepherd and bishop of the soul and he comes to find lost souls. And he comes in the message of the gospel, uh, the preaching of Christ and him crucified, uh, the preaching that grace saves from all sin, uh, the testimony of Paul, like some of us are discussing this morning, that he's a blasphemer, he's injurious, uh, a persecutor, the chief of sinners, and Christ came for him. Uh, a wicked man like John Newton, lost and far from God, a slaveholder, a drunkard, a, a blasphemer, a vile man. And Christ, as the shepherd and bishop of his soul, came for him and he could sing and say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And through the means of the gospel, he does this. Through the preaching of the word of God, through the preaching of his under bishops, his under pastors, through the witnessing of the saints, or a Bible in a bedroom, or a tract found in a phone box. And then, of course, we have the power. Through these means, by the message of the cross, Jesus Christ speaks and his sheep hear his voice. In the offer of the gospel, Christ gives the power to repentance and faith. 
because repentance and faith are gifts of God by grace. And with the regenerate sheep, they hear the voice of their shepherd calling. They hear the law, so they deny their righteousness. They hear the gospel and say, Christ is my righteousness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the shepherd draws us to himself. And at that time, we have returned by grace to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. This is you, brother and sister in Christ. This is anyone who would come by repentance and faith to Christ. That you once were lost and wandering and then your shepherd and bishop came to your soul and he draw you to himself. So that you can sing Psalm 23, He restores my soul. He restores my soul to a right standing with God. He restores my soul to peace with God. He restores my soul to a friendship and fellowship with God. My soul was dead, but it's restored now to be alive. And then the sheep who has returned can say with Psalm 103, O thou my soul, Bless God the Lord and all that in me is. Be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. O thou my soul, do not forget all his gracious benefits. The benefits of faith and repentance. The benefits of union with Christ. The benefits of uh, uh, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance and glorification. He's given you all things. And then your soul sings with Mary. When she uh, said uh, in Luke chapter 1, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. Is that your soul, brother and sister? Lost and wandering but now by his grace returning to the bishop and shepherd of your soul. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It's not that we have known God, but rather we have been known of God, as Paul says in Galatians. And thirdly, the shepherd and bishop of our soul sanctifies our souls. There's a wonderful phrase in 3 John verse 2 where, he, where John's saying, uh, uh, I pray for you, brothers and sisters, and, and I hope you're all healthy. And he says, I hope that your soul is prospering. See, a converted Christian is not a soul that's to be languishing you know, sometimes Christians can speak like that. You know, basically they're justified by the skin of their teeth and that's it. They just, they make it to heaven like a runner just passes the, the, the white line as their head crosses and they collapse. That's not the Bible. 
Christ is the shepherd and bishop of your soul, therefore he will cause your soul to prosper. And in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20, tells us how. That great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Jesus Christ, through the blood of the covenant, is in you by his Holy Spirit. He's not just living there, he's working there. Because a shepherd works. A shepherd that doesn't work is a very lazy shepherd. There's a lot of work to do being a shepherd. And that shepherd, that great shepherd, comes to your soul and he works hard. He works omnipotently. He works efficiently and effectually. And he's going to work in you perfection, completeness, balance, undivided faith and loyalty to him. He's going to see sin and he's going to work on that sin. He's going to see what's lacking and he's going to oversee your soul as a supervisor and fill what is lacking. He's going to give you every grace possible and needed. And he's going to fill you with the desire of good works so that he'll be well pleased. Just like verse 24 says that we were dead, but now we live unto righteousness, newness of life. That's a Christian where Christ, the shepherd and the bishop, comes to the soul and by his spirit, he's going to work in you godliness and holiness and love and joy and peace and long-suffering and self-control. He's going to move you to see the Bible as God's will and do it and delight in it. He's going to see sins in your life and he's going to supervise those sins and remove them in mortification and bring the antithesis, the opposite graces and vivification. That means to make alive. And he does this through his bishops. Acts chapter 20, verse, 40, uh, verse 28 Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, same word for bishop, to feed the church of God. So he calls men to be bishops, overseers, pastors, translated as you will, where their job is to supervise your souls. As Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Why? Because they watch over your souls. And they want to help your souls and encourage your souls. And when there's sin in the soul, to rebuke and correct. 
to show you the truth and the gospel and sanctification, holiness, uh, and the law as as a rule for holiness. They want to preach to you and shepherd you and visit you and encourage you and edify you and provoke you to love and good works and to be in your home and to pray for you. And therefore, if you're desiring sanctification from the shepherd and bishop of your souls, value and appreciate and attend faithfully the means, the under-bishops who watch over your souls and feed your souls with marrow, even the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's another way he will watch over your souls. There's another way he'll sanctify your souls. Suffering. That's what this whole book's about, suffering. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it's the trial of your faith. So that the dross that's attached to the gold of your faith will be burnt up. In verse 21 and following, it says, you who are Christians are called to suffer. Do you want fellowship with Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God has called us to fellowship with Christ. In the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, we have fellowship with his body and blood. Philippians chapter 3, Paul desires fellowship, the fellowship of his sufferings. Because as John 15 says, as the world hated me, it will hate you. And you will suffer in this world. But in the midst of suffering, the shepherd and bishop of your souls will sanctify you. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. How is Jesus Christ going to confirm our souls through much tribulation? not a pleasant experience but a soul can be prideful a soul can have unbelief a soul can be spiritually lazy a soul can be self-dependent a Christian soul but Christ loves you in your soul and he's going to oversee your soul so that these things are burnt up through sufferings and made beautiful. And through sufferings and trials and persecutions in this world, the shepherd and bishop of your soul will burn away your unbelief, your pride, your self-dependence, your lack of prayer or lack of word or taking him for granted. And in the midst of suffering, to whom are you going to? You you try to go to people, you, you try to go to the things of the world and Nothing satisfies the soul. And so now your faith is clinging to the shepherd and bishop. You're praying and reading the word in a more vigorous way than before. Sin is something you don't want anything to do. It's just ugly. And and why am I doing that? And you desire holiness and and good works and, and these things now. Christ is sanctifying you through sufferings in the soul. 
Richard Baxter once prayed, Lord, what thou wilt, when thou wilt, how thou wilt. That's a terrifying prayer. God, do with me with whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. Sanctify me. Oh, he will. Think of people in the past or present, whether you know or you don't know, the most godly, spiritual, heavenly-minded saints. Different countries, different nations, different backgrounds, different eras, different centuries, different millennia. Here's what they have in common. They all suffered and it cost them. But through their sufferings, they were sanctified wholly in the soul as they depended and looked upon the shepherd and bishop of souls. Fourthly and finally, the shepherd and bishop of the soul will glorify the soul. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, due to our series in Mark, we've emphasized the glorification of the body, the resurrection. But here, let's emphasize the glorification of the soul. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, there's a promise. The immediate context is a promise to, to under-bishops, but it applies to every brother and sister in Christ. Chapter 5, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, second coming, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The key here is glory. The believer will be glorified, body and soul. Hebrews speaks of the spirits or the souls of just men made Perfect. Now think about that for a moment. Your soul perfect, sinless, without blemish. Think about every single grace that you have, and it is perfected. Your love. Without any sin, any weakness, defilement, any lack, your joy, your peace, your holiness, your godliness. Psalm 139, David prays, God, look upon me, search my soul. See if there's any sin within. If God does that, he will always find sin in your life. But see when you're glorified in your soul, God's eye, which is omniscient, will search the very depths of your soul and he will not be able to find one speck of a speck of sin in you. Isn't that wonderful? 
That's why Christ says he's going to present his bride spotless, blameless before the Father. And the Father was to see one speck of dust, you're not worthy to marry my son. But because Christ, the shepherd and bishop of your soul, will perfect and glorify your soul, no sin whatsoever, and the Father will accept. Because your soul is conformed perfectly to the image of Christ. And when God the Father sees your glorified soul, he sees his Son, and he will respond with praise. And that's why you have a crown of glory. Crown here is not royal crown as in a king, but it's speaking of athletics. In the ancient world in Olympics, they didn't have gold uh, medals. They had a, a wreath around their head as a reward for their race. And that's the Greek word. It's a, a wreath of glory. And because by God's grace in Christ you have persevered to the end and you've been raised up body and soul glorified, God the Father looks upon you and gives you a reward of glory. There's beautiful words in 1 Peter chapter 1 where it says in verse 7, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold, it perishes through it tried with fire, so that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In the Greek, it's crystal clear. It's not us praising, honoring, and glorying in Christ. In the Greek, It's Jesus Christ doing it to us. Jesus Christ looks at our faith in the end, which is glorified and perfected. He praises our faith, he honors our faith, and he glorifies our faith. Isn't that beautiful? Think of the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, where the the Lord comes and he looks upon the servant and he says, Well done, thou faithful servant. And the crown, the wreath, is heaven itself. And this heaven fades not away. And again, look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. This crown of glory that fades not away is an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fades not away. Think about it. There is no fall in heaven because man is impeccable in the soul we cannot sin. Heaven is eternal. Heaven is full of joy that cannot be taken away because there's no sin. There's no death in heaven because there's no decomposition. There's no curse. There's no boredom in heaven because the object of the soul is a God who is infinite, incomprehensible and eternal, which means there's always new things to discover. You ever have the experience that just time just passes away and you don't even know it because you're enjoying yourself so much? Well, heaven's like that. 
You see, heaven cannot fade away. It cannot be corrupted. Like the things in this world, if you were to have the whole world, all the gold and silver and cars and homes and wealth and plaudits and faith, fame, every single one of these things will fade away. Corruption and erosion. But in heaven, it's forever. And this is given for your soul. And your soul will be absolutely satisfied. And this is Jesus Christ for you, brother and sister. He is the shepherd and bishop of your soul. And everything that's going to happen in life is for the good of our souls. He's keeping your soul. He's supervising your soul. He's overseeing your souls. So have your faith and trust in the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Look to him for more grace and influences of the spirit in your souls. Your soul is immortal and spiritual and valuable. Therefore, feed your soul with Christ. And persevere until the chief shepherd appears and gives you a crown of glory. Let us pray.